Welcome to Your Own Words, a podcast that celebrates the love of reading with real people and real books, both critically acclaimed and slated. Listeners are encouraged to read along and join the journey through the libraries of friends newly discovered. This podcast may contain spoilers, feminist rants, curse words, and mispronunciations of names, cities, and more. <laughs> no one has ever cared about that number. Maybe we should. Maybe we should start a new trend. The ninth episode is like... Party like it's episode nine. No, that's such a pish and it doesn't work. Ugh, I'm sorry, Prince. <laughs> <laughs> Apologies to Prince <laughs> and all those who love him. I'm not a fan. Uh, it's episode nine. Uh, this will come out on the 29th of October if Ooh. I get my shit together and edit it on time. That's like we planned it. Which, yeah, just like we planned <laughs> yeah. it. Um, which means it's almost Halloween. Yeah, Halloween. So, yeah, how to Hanuk Beef, people. Just chucking in some Irish. It's grand. I have no idea what just happened. Happy Halloween. In Irish? Yeah. In the Gaelic? Yeah. Cool. Say it again. Yeah, how to Hanuk Beef. No. No, we're not. Okay. I can't do that. Um, but thank you for making this a multicultural experience for everyone. You're welcome. So it seems fitting. I don't have a lot to talk about today. Do you have anything to talk about? My life is super dull. So no. fantastic. Yeah. So we're just gonna like Let's dive hope it right stays into that an episode. <laughs> <laughs> so there's no chat. God, someone will be like, "Oh my god, thank God they finally <laughs> shut the fuck up at the beginning I of the episode." Just need to have flu for three weeks straight, and then there's nothing to talk about. Oh yeah, about. you were really ill. Yeah. Mm. So. Cool. So I guess we'll just dive right into what uh, I think is probably a fitting choice for the season. Um, we've done a couple kind of spooky fantasy sci-fi things. So um, going, going straight to the master, going straight to the man um, of the genre himself. Why don't I tell you about Stephen King? Let's just say this. So those of you who listen have probably maybe clocked that Beck and I uh, alternate who does the kind of author intro and who does the book intro. And I, when I realized where we were at, I just texted Beck like, are you <laughs> fucking kidding me? I have to do a biography for Stephen King. It's going really well for me. Oh, that reminds me. I had a dream. And I had Gaiman as well. Like, <laughs> you had Gaiman. I had Fisk, who was in my dream last night, and I was telling someone about how he nearly lost his sight due to the, whatever it was, genetic <laughs> mutation. You had a dream about Nicholas Fisk? I, I dreamt that I was telling someone about his eye loss and how it was really sad. That's niche. Um, yeah. It wow. was a great dream. Um, so here's the thing. Stephen King. Is I mean, there much to say? No, he's pretty like unremarkable. I know he's got a dog. He does have a dog. You have a dog. I know. Is that it? That's it. Cool. He has a dog called Molly, who he also refers to as the thing of evil. <laughs> and his Instagram feed is basically full of pictures of this dog. And he'll say Molly, a.k.a. the thing of evil resting before like murdering things <laughs> and it made my heart very happy to see that he's equally as obsessed with his dog as I am so I feel we have something in common um so here is the bio that I wrote for Stephen King you can see that I gave up um <laughs> known as one of the most critically acclaimed novelists in America and indeed the world Stephen King was born in Portland Maine in 1947 
He has nearly 100 million copies of his works in print worldwide and is often referred to as the king of horror. On top of his incredible sales, awards, and accolades, which are too many for me to even list, uh, he's the first writer to have had three, four, and finally five titles at the same time on the New York Times bestseller list. If you haven't heard of him, you've probably been living under a rock for multiple decades and thus are not listening to this podcast. <laughs> uh, that's the bio that I have for Stephen King. You know who Stephen King is. <laughs> you know how when we did the game and we were like, ugh, what a dick. Do you feel like Stephen King and Neil Gaiman get together and they Gaiman do. is like, say Steve-o. How many how many books you got happening in New York Times now? <laughs> and Steve is like, how many have you got, Neil? And then Neil Gaiman feels bad about himself because he's not quite that good. Yeah, they're like, oh, how many books have been turned into movies and or television series? Oh, I'm yeah. on every channel right yeah. now. I'm on, I'm on all of the streaming. <sighs> God, it's offensive. Um, I will say, if you do want to know more about Stephen King than what I've just told you, which is nothing, um, read his... Uh, part instructional guide part autobiography on writing it's one of the best biographies I've ever read yeah. it's brilliant it's genius I have it in plinth form obviously on my shelf and I highly recommend it um, another thing that I love about him is how devoted and wonderful he is about his wife Tabitha they've been married since like the 70s she is the reason he is who he is because she pulled a half written manuscript of Carrie out of the bin Nice. Where he had put it and read it and said, I don't think you should throw this out. I think you should read that or you should finish this. And that was his first novel. Oh, my God. Think about all of the masterpieces that I've thrown away and no one's given a crap enough to pull back yeah. out. You need a Tabitha. So upsetting. Yeah. So it's very sweet. That like just warms my heart, um, that their relationship, that he, he praises her for everything. And like it's very sweet. So Stephen I'm King is Tabitha's husband. Stephen King is mm -hmm. Tabitha's husband. Yes. That is the new bio. Good work, Tabitha. Yeah. Well done. We love Tabitha King. Oh, great name, Jesus. <laughs> Did you just click on that? Yeah. Well, I hadn't said it out loud before. And I'm like, damn, I want that name. That's, I mean, you can have it. So why don't, uh, Beck, you tell Should us. I jump into the book? You tell us which book <clears throat> we're doing. I read um, a bunch, as I always do, of Synopsi. What's the Synopsipods? <laughs> I like Never. that, Synopsipods. Um, I really like the one from Waterstone. So I'm going to read the one from Waterstone. Mm. The Green Mile. Those who walk it do not return, because at the end of that walk is a room in which sits Cold Mountain Penitentiary's electric chair. In 1932, the newest resident on death row is John Coffey, a giant black man convicted of the brutal murder of two little girls. But nothing is as it seems with John Coffey, and around him unfolds a bizarre and horrifying story. Evil murderer or wholly innocent, whichever he is, Coffey has strange powers which may yet offer salvation to others, even if they can do nothing to save him. Ooh. Waterstones. <laughs> Thanks, Waterstones. This, I like them as a bookshop. Me too. I, I just found the one nearest to my new work, and it's like three stories tall and has oh, a cafe yeah, inside. Yeah. I, when I sent you that picture, I was like rushing back to the office, and I'm like, I'm not going to go in, I'm not going to go in. And then out of the corner of my eye while I was walking by the open door, it was like, half price this week only and I was like yeah like I had to go in it was like a Jamie Oliver cookbook which I almost bought because it was veg but I didn't so I was like okay it wasn't it wasn't anything that See, I didn't. we have said before any book that impacts your life 
if the, the Jamie yeah. Oliver cookbook. If a Jamie Oliver cookbook <laughs> has impacted your life, I remember to be, I don't know why I'm going to go very Jamie Oliver now, but when Jamie Oliver him. released his first Naked Chef book, I think, mm-hmm. and he would have been, what, 20-something, I remember skipping school with a friend to go and queue up to the Waterstones where he was doing a signing <laughs> to buy that book. And we didn't have a lot of money, so we had to pile together our pocket money and share this Jamie Oliver Naked Chef book that he signed. And he had the floppy hair. And it was a really impactful moment in my book buying career. That's amazing. I don't know who fucking got the book. I think I did. Do you still have it? I think I do. It'll probably be a plinth. It is a plinth. All cookbooks yeah. should be and are. Gotta be to be sturdy fair, in the kitchen, right? Yeah, plin- get splashed paperback on. cookbooks are not okay. No, it's disrespectful. I think to I the have form. one. Stupid. <sighs> anyway, uh, well, that was a tangent. <laughs> uh, finally, after that tangent, she's been sitting here in silence the whole time. Bless her. Uh, I will introduce today's guest, who I'm super excited about because she's my friend and she's been listening since the beginning, and I love her. And that's it. Maybe I should give is you that an the intro, intro like Stephen King. <laughs> Charlie Pilbro is a South London bookworm who loves a pint and a chat. She is a makeup artist and aspiring illustrator who considers food her first love. She hopes to retire in the countryside with her partner Mark. Hey, Mark. Uh, surrounded by dogs and chickens. Uh, Charlie, welcome to the show. How Hi. do you like your cookbook? Plinth or paperback? Oh, we're going straight in. No, no. <laughs> we No. I think we need to start with, first of all, hi. Okay. <laughs> uh, second of all, Charlie showed up, rocked up to the podcast studio today with a gift in hand. Um, I did. Pumpkin. Some pumpkin spice. spice lattes. So we've been sitting here. Beck has not tried it. I, I smelled to be it fair, once. Okay. I can't remember if I've had one before. <laughs> I'm big on the uh, eggnog latte. What the fuck? Can someone explain what eggnog is? Egg and nog. It just looks <laughs> like it's like is it like custard? Creamy. It's custard, isn't it? Why am I drinking boozy no. custard? It well, first of all, I don't drink it boozy all of the time. I drink it just straight up um, oh. in North America. I thought it was just a boot. Is it not? If a, not no, no. Oh, people mix what? rum with it. And why do they put? Why are you putting custard in coffee? I yeah. know we haven't we it's haven't even mastered pumpkin spice a lot. <laughs> <sighs> Listen, let's save this. One for, latte at a time. Let's save this for a December episode, <laughs> okay. and then oh we'll bring God, in the eggnog. In. I'll just be like the perching in the continues. corner, just drinking my eggnog. <laughs> Charlie has to come back for that. It would be special Patreon content. I'll be like, I will pay so much money to hear what they think about eggnog latte. <laughs> um, so okay. without further ado, how does what do, they, do you just kind of neck this, or is there like a, a smell and a swivel? Or? I mean, if you want to. Yeah, taking the aroma. Should I remove the lid? I mean, I, 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 I don't, don't want to get this How hot is it? You there's probably, there's connoisseurs out yeah, there. It can't that are like, be that hot anymore. Yeah, I was going to say, it's been sat here for quite some time. Oh, it smells great. It smells of cinnamon. It smells like pumpkin pie. I've never had that, but I'm sure it's great. Mm. I'm not getting a lot of pumpkin, personally, but maybe that comes with the, with the Does pumpkin feel. taste of a lot, though, on its own? Not really. Is it not just what you add to it? No, I'm going in. Do it. Oh, it's like ASMR. <laughs> just wanted to get that gulp sound. Evidence. I just made her choke it. on her first yeah, step. Yeah, it literally came, it literally <laughs> came out. I like it. So it's like cinnamony. Yeah. yeah. And there's there's a hint of coffee, but the coffee is overpowered by the kind of sweet cinnamon flavor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And nutmeg. I'm getting nutmeg. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this is our new podcast. <laughs> Coffee tasting. Coffee tasting with, <laughs> with Charlie. Charlie's coffee. Yeah, doesn't work. And the thing is, this is the most basic coffee anyone could buy, and we're sat here like, <laughs> like, can you detect the notes? 
<laughs> Rolling. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah. How is the mouthfeel? It's John Coffee's coffee. coffee. I was going to say, coffee. Segway, oh. hello, coffee. Just not spilt the same. Just not spilt the same. Oh, that was sad. That was sad. We'll yeah, get so there. this was, thanks for this. I don't, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, thanks, for, thanks for bringing it in. <laughs> it's, um, it's warm, and that's kind of what you want from a beverage in the winter. Yeah. I'm Sorry. worried for my soul. I did have a flat white on the way here, and now I'm about to embark on this. Woo! Next coffee right. train. Don't, I feel don't like talk the, too fast. The proportions of like syrup flavored stuff to coffee is probably going to be way higher. You're more yeah. likely. So to I'm have just going to be having a sugar high yeah. slash coffee high, at some time, high, which is not a great combo for someone like we'll me. Just go for a quick jog around Soho after. Yeah, because that's an easy thing. Where to do are when out? People are walking <laughs> at a bloody snail's pace. It's fine. I love Soho. Uh, so let's talk about Charlie. Hi. Um, do you have any questions prepared for Charlie? Um. Or anything you'd like to ask her? Well, I, I was going to ask about, which we did kind of ask Brad before, um, about genre. Because I obviously know Stephen King, because uh-huh. he's Tabitha's husband. <laughs> Everyone knows. Um, but I wouldn't, he's not someone that I would read, because I'm instinctively not a horror reader. Mm-hmm. Whereas you obviously would read Stephen King. Yes. Does genre play a part in books that you read, or are you just sort of a bit open to everything, explore everything, we'll grab something, see how it goes, kind of a thing. Yeah. I yeah. I'd say I'm more of like an explorer, but I do enjoy like I like a good horror, like film wise as well, as long as it has a great story. I hate like trashy horror films. I mean yeah. I kinda do. But like not jump, for like all jump scares and gore. I can't. Yeah. I like, like a psychological film. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I love Saw, but well, that's a psychological thriller in a way. Yeah. But it's pretty fucking But it's kind of just upsetting. like you watch with loads of people and you just sort of take it at face value. But when something's, like you say, a bit more psychological and it makes yeah. you feel stuff, like that's when I'm a bit more into it. Same with books. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, I love a trash novel. Who doesn't? Do you know what I mean? Twilight. <laughs> Back in the day. But <laughs> I I read the I whole felt, series. I felt empty when I closed that last plinth book. Just putting it out there. <laughs> I felt like, what am I going to do without Bella and her fucking weird ass ways? I have but, never read it or seen a film, but I have sold a lot of Twilight merchandise. Oh. Explain. Back in my HMV days. Okay. <laughs> I thought you meant you just made them. It's just like this. She's an Etsy shop. I'm just, um, I don't know. I feel indifferent about it, but I'm just going to make it for the masses. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of love the image oh of that God. of me sat there like not knowing what the hell it's about you found like, mug in the mall get some kids and some vampires right and then I heart boys who sparkle uh-huh. oh. team Jacob They're team sparkling. Edward oh yeah what team are you on wow uh, neither I'm on team <laughs> um, oh god what's his name which one he's one of the brothers Emmett no the big buff, buff no, one the big or Carlisle buff one. the dad <laughs> No, that's not there's the another one. Oh, Jasper. Jasper. The sexy blonde one. Yeah. It's like, oh, This podcast has taken such a turn. Sorry, I'm just taking it down like tween <laughs> life. Hey, hey. Oliver, Twilight. Twilight is Halloween-y. That's, that's vampires. Spooky. They I'm just, I'm just taking touching. you down like my book evolution and like my growth. I and love it. So you went from started. Twilight to Stephen King? <laughs> yeah. That's what I mean. Did you? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, not immediately. I didn't <laughs> yeah, this there's, one. Like, <laughs> there's a couple of stages between those two things. <laughs> but like, you know, when I was like 12, 13, like toe dipping into like more adult fiction and whatnot, it was kind of Mills like, and Bean. Yeah, just like, because it, it went from like Jacqueline Wilson. <laughs> Who <laughs> doesn't love? Miss Wilson. Do you know what I mean? An illustrated mum. That is definitely not a kid's book. Right? (laughs) Some of them are really fucked up. It's like, oh, yeah, I've abandoned this kid in children's home. She's a mess now. Woo. And, like, like, she finds her mum just 
painted in like entirely covered in white paint just like yeah, in this trance in her bathroom strange. and this young girl has to deal with so much stuff like from her mum and it's yeah it's really intense the she's like the biggest hell? kids writer biggest I've never <gasps> European kids this obviously is, didn't cross the pond perhaps no. oh my god she's, she's very big in well if districts. anyone would like to come on the podcast <laughs> and choose one of those books I will happily read yeah. it no it's great She's great. So you went from Wilson to King. <laughs> yeah. Because that does make more sense. <laughs> the obvious transition. I mean, and then yeah. you were like, oh, I'll go back jumps. to Twilight. This but no, really like, yeah, I like, I have <laughs> chopped and changed with different kinds of genres of books. Like, because my mate Sasha, she's like well into a bit of romance. She loves a bit of Penny Vincenzi and like lots of interlinking stories because she just loves a chick flick. So she'd be like, read this, it's banging. And then I'd sort of like branch out and I've got like a whole notebook, like just full of what books to read. And then I started doing the standard like books every woman should read by female authors. And it's just yeah, taken over my life. Let me get Jane Austen. You read any Jane Austen? <laughs> yes, she's on the list. Also, have you read her? No. Yes. <laughs> no, don't what? Don't, don't no, bring no, me into your shame. <laughs> what is wrong with people? You because Sonia hasn't either. So like okay, every good. time someone's on, on Beck just gets really, really angry. We've only had one. Pet, was it Lux that had actually read Jane Austen? I think Lux has read I Jane think, Austen. Yeah. I think. Come on, people, women of the world, and we're not reading Jane Austen. I'm sorry, I'm still learning. It's like <laughs> I said, if we get to a hundred quid a month on Patreon, I'll read Jane Austen. Like, you know, so yeah. get those dollar bills. Almost as in. bad as never having had a pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> I would not dream of that. Yeah, you don't see me like coffee shaming you. <laughs> book shaming me. Yeah. So along from that then, was this the first Stephen King you've read? Or are there others? This is first Stephen King, yeah. Is it the only Stephen King? Um, I've kind of started it. <laughs> oh, kind God. Of. I get so distracted. It's fine. I, that's You have my copy of it, don't you? I do. Yeah. I didn't finish it. Beck, have you re- read a lot of Stephen King? No, I've read on writing. So good. Um, I haven't read a lot of really the actual novels. No. I've read a few. So I read. I had a because my mum. Hey Gail. Hey Gail. Hi Gail. Like Gail. Uh, so Gail had. Gail loves Stephen King. She right? loves Stephen King. Yeah. She uh, she was very excited about this episode. Shall um, we? Because she she's like oh yeah I read that she at one point like I think she kind of fell off the map in like the mid nineties or. 2000s, but she had read like every single Stephen King. Wow, that's a lot of Stephen Which King. Which is a lot. He's written a hundred million books. <laughs> exactly the right figure. Um, but she was really stoked. And so because of that, there was a lot of Stephen King around the house when I was growing up. So there was a collection of short stories called Nightmares and Dreamscapes that I read. And I read Carrie when I was in high I've school. I read Carrie. Yeah, Carrie you keep telling me really It's so Carrie. good. The movie, the movie was great. The original with Sissy Spacek, um, but but still doesn't quite do it justice. Yeah. Which they generally don't. But um, the book was phenomenal. Like I, I remember being so moved by it. Um, and then I don't think I've read a lot more of him for a while. I recently read Revival, which is a newer one from him. I really want to read Misery. Um, but yeah, I haven't read a ton and it's, it's one of those things where perhaps in the same way I feel about Jane Austen where I'm like, oh God, like everybody <laughs> reads it. So I'm not, Although I'm not doing otherwise. that. Like, on that Stephen King is so basic. And then you start reading him and you're like, oh wait, there's a reason yeah. he yeah. sold so many books because yeah. he's a brilliant writer. Um, and then, you know, reading on writing as well was just yeah. like, oh, if you haven't read oh, it Oh, it's yet. total yeah. snobbery. It's totally like, in, yeah. he, he's you're like, like oh, in this the zeitgeist. Literature. He's so, yeah part of the narrative so I'm like yeah I know Stephen King fine. I know it I get it fine yeah 
but then actually reading him be like oh yeah you're quite good oh, yeah. that's why people like you that's why you've read a hundred million books <laughs> <laughs> it can make sense now where do you like to read hmm hopefully not Most of in the, the time. bath I was going to say I'm definitely a bath reader don't don't I, I had a Lux moment the other day. I'm such a bath reader. I, I dropped my... I was doing the washing up. And I Did dropped, you say I had a Lux I moment? I had a Lux moment. Oh, I dropped my book in the water. <laughs> Literally, like... Which book? But you were reading the next one, one oh, postcards. No. And after you took the plastic jacket off, after of it. I took the, <gasps> I dropped it in the water. One of the cats was doing the washing up, and I was just supervising. <laughs> so it was getting a bit messy, um, and they were there with it, and I was like, "No, no, Caspian, like this." And then I dropped the book, and it just sort of floated on top, so it's not completely damaged. But I did okay. think of Lux at the time. It's salvaged. Yeah, oh. but yeah, I'm like a commuter reader. Yeah, you commute in the bath. <laughs> Just just my I'm film. a bath reader. I'm a <laughs> While traveling to work, <laughs> it can be multiple times. Oh right. Yeah, okay. like yeah, I mainly we bath or on a train. Okay. Yeah. So there's a, a variant as opposed to one defined way. Yeah, I don't have a specific spot for reading. I think we're just like asking just random questions to lead up or to delay to the big, asking the, to the question, big question, which you know. Um, I can't make eye contact with her because we're very close and she's going to be afraid. So I'm going to hold my... Everyone look at the floor. Just look away. Okay. Um, Charlie. Charlie Pilbro. Yeah. Team paper or team plinth? I am team plinth. <gasps> yes! Oh, I didn't see that coming. Uh, team plinth. Can you explain why? I... I don't have any rational reasoning behind it because I totally understand why people don't enjoy plinth because it's hard. It's, you know, <laughs> literally, it's, it's hard work on the fingers. Like, it's not an easy, it's not economical. you know, and don't get me wrong, like, when you've got a soft back, like, paper soft back, a paperback, <laughs> otherwise known as <laughs> soft spined. <laughs> you can, like, move it around and it's a lot easier to just chuck in and out. But there's just something really, like, ceremonial about opening a hard back book and it's just pleasant and it feels so much I don't know the experience Important. is just elevated I did find you a plinth for your plinth books the other day and oh I was so God. proud of myself <laughs> it's like this is my Christmas gift uh, yes. <laughs> I, I was just walking past something I was like hold on a second there's a plinth there is it actually called a plinth yeah. Isn't it called like a lectern? If we have like based the podcast <laughs> on the wrong word, I'm going to be oh, no. super embarrassed. I'm just going to Google this real quick. <laughs> we can't change it. Corrections corner. There's like a plinth. You put a thing on a plinth is what you vest something on. So I always just thing, imagine, right? yeah, like where a priest stands exactly. and preaches. Yeah. At his plinth. Exactly. There we go. Which is how I feel okay. when I'm reading that You, you feel like a preaching priest? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, everyone settle down, listen Great. up. Great. A plinth is a base or platform that supports a pedestal column or structure. There we go. Structurally, the plinth distributes the weight and pressure coming down through a column evenly across a wider space. That is what you need for your hardback. Fair. Okay. A distribution Thank God. of weight. <laughs> well, I'm glad I understand the physics of a plinth. Because <laughs> that would have been on the my hand. So Every time you, you open it, you're like, what is the physics of my reading experience? <laughs> if only there was a podcast to tell me. I am in such a good mood right now. Um, October is I know my month. Happy. You're doing really well in October. Two in a row. You've got Welcome. two. I mean, Thanks, I still Charlie. have seven. But <laughs> She's you know. still my favourite. <laughs> she she was not bribed to say that. No, because I didn't... 
didn't I say to you once that I prefer like a hard back in general and you just looked at me with love in my eyes like what maybe I was like yeah where do you stand on a dust cover though I'm a remover I mean they should be put in the bin is that okay you can't put it in the bin I removed the dust cover (laughs) we've had this conversation before I removed the dust cover put it on the shelf while I'm reading, and then when I'm done reading, I put the dust cover back on and put it on the shelf. They're just not there. They don't need to be there in the first oh, place. Oh, honey, that's a lot of effort. <laughs> exactly. Do you Thank throw you. yours away? <laughs> yeah, because a lot of the time, what's already on, like, Alison's the book... Right exactly. Because I've got no. a, co- my a copy the of The Alchemist. The actual hardback is nicer. Like, the, the actual so hardback pretty. is nicer than the freaking dust cover they put on. It's unnecessary. It's harder to hold, and it's in your way. It is. It's just flapping around. <laughs> I agree. Not into it. <laughs> Wow. So you 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 won, but then I I'm taking right. I'm having you on okay. that one. I'm yeah. still taking the full point. You can take the full point for the plinth, but I'm having <laughs> I'm having the dust cover. I nice. agree with you. Two and a half. Like... Two and a half. <laughs> Lux Sorry, couldn't make up her mind, so we we each got a half point. All right, let's talk about the book, <laughs> <laughs> The Green Mile. Um, Char, do you want to kind of walk us through like what the story is about? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, so it's told from the perspective of Paul Edgecombe, who is, I guess, the sort of head prison officer on the particular block where men are sent to um, be executed. And yeah, he's just telling you about, in particular, this one gentleman, John Coffey, that comes in and he's accused of like a really horrific, horrific crime. Um, and just about him and how he's like a little bit different to the normal prisoners that are brought in. And all the sort of weird things that happen from then on, I guess, without giving too much away. Oh, yeah, that's a very. <laughs> so I'm trying not to say too much. In case we haven't read it. It's yeah, a jolly little tricky. tale. I think or seen it. I don't really. like the film because the film is quite yeah. accurate to the book. So I've, I don't know. It depends on I people. Seen I had it issues or not. with the film. I, let's, Ooh, okay. well, let's talk about we'll that. Put a pin yeah. in that. Yeah. yeah. Put a pin in that because <laughs> I have, I have lots to say about that as well. Um, you know what I found really interesting, and I don't know if either of you came across this, either knew this already or came across it in any of your strong research for today. <laughs> um, but this book was actually released in, in six parts. parts. Yeah, yeah. And it was a Dickensian. It was Dickensian. I knew you'd pick up on that. (laughs) (laughs) So Charles Dickens uh, used to write uh, in this way that was like this serial novel. So you tell a story in the papers over the course. So people would be waiting and waiting for the the original soap opera. Yeah. (laughs) So it's Charles Dickens, who is Beck's favorite. And then they released a full book of it and it's like Netflix binge. Literally. Exactly. The novel is old school streaming. Yeah. (laughs) That's that's how it works. Oh my God, look at that. But so this book was released (laughs) over six months in smaller, they call them chap books, which is very quaint. Um, Which I hadn't realized. And so that's why it's, you know, the paperbacks, we all have a paperback copy with all of them in it but Mm. that's why it's separated into six sections it confused me because when i was looking for the book originally to buy it was saying one and i it It was like mouse on the mile i I was really confused because i was thinking i know that this isn't like a sequel so then i looked into it and i realized oh it was six in six parts but you can buy them in parts i kind of want to yeah i quite like the idea just for the collection one yeah i wonder if they ever they probably weren't they're not going to be in plants sorry (laughs) it's fine i'll get over it but so i thought that was really interesting uh, and he, so he, when he started writing it, or when when he started releasing it, he hadn't finished writing it yet. Yeah. So he was like a little bit ahead, uh, like maybe a couple books ahead, but he had not decided how it was going to end when the first chapter book came out, which oh is really interesting. So he kind of like, 
in reading, you know, what he said about it, um, he was really, it was just kind of like an exciting challenge. Like his British publisher was like, you know, that like, we should we should find an author to try to write in that, that Dickensian style of doing a serial publication. And Stephen had this, <laughs> Stephen, Steve had this, yeah, uh, he's my bud. Um, <laughs> So oh, he, he kind of like took on the challenge because he had this story kind of brewing in his mind yeah. over time. And I just thought that was super interesting. So that and knowing that after the fact, I'm like, it does make sense. You can kind of, kind of tell. I think there were yeah. a couple of times when I got, got to the end of a bit. I like I think I said, oh, I'm going to get to five today. And then I got to the end of it and I was like, oh, but the come on. Now I'm going to yeah. have to read the next. It, he you leaves you on a suspense quite often, which if you're reading it like that, it's as so like great. a soap opera, mm-hmm. it's, you're kind of dying to wait for the next installment and then when you're reading it as a whole book you you read it in five hours yeah yeah <laughs> if you want me she <laughs> did she did you read it in a day yeah my she read it in a day i wasn't planning to i gave myself a week and then i every time i got to the end i was like bollocks what's the next bit and i i yeah oh my god i started so, i think i re- wait <laughs> yeah when yeah but i read, read this it? over commuting so it was like half an hour snippets each time mm-hmm. so it was like a little soap opera it is, yeah um when did I read it the first time? Early this year, like the beginning of this year. Okay, so this is a newer discovery yeah, for you. So new. Amazing. Because I didn't realise that it was a book for a very long time. <laughs> uh, to be fair, a lot of people oh, have said yeah. that to me. I, I said we're doing Green Mile and everyone's like, oh, I didn't realise that was based on a book. Yeah. And now when I now I tell people that it is a book, they're like, oh my God, let me read it. So I feel like, yeah. you know. I yeah. saw the film in cinema when it came out. I'd never seen it. Which would have been oh. 1999. Oh, oh that's yeah. a great year. <laughs> wow, they didn't wait around, did they, no. to like make the film? No, bash it. They were making it in installments, and then <laughs> they put it, that's, smushed it all together. That's why it's ten years long. Oh yeah, the film is so long. I it's remember so how long, long it was. I literally was like, do this is going to take me as long to watch as read. Three hours? No, it's not. It's yes, just it it's just over three hours. It's three hours and eleven minutes and forty nine seconds. We, we both just watched. I've it. never. I mean, obviously, when I'm watching it, but I don't look back and think, "Oh, fuck me, that's a long film." It's very long. Yeah. I remembered. I remembered I that so it was long, in. and then when I when I got it and like opened the file on my computer, I was like, "Yeah, three three plus hours." It's a long it's worth haul. it though. It's worth it. It's so worth it. But it was. Um, we will talk about the film in a bit. But it's interesting. It's just in the style of writing. I thought. I'm sorry, and I am fucking railroading you both. I'm just so interested in it. <laughs> um, but the way that it's written, I guess he had like an interesting time. Um, kind of because they were, each section was released separately, he had to kind of be creative in yeah. how he could remind people what happened in the last story without yeah. writing like uh, yeah, yeah. last time on, yeah. <laughs> last week on The Green Mile. He does that recap. But thing. he does, he he found like a creative way to yeah. do it. And I think that's also why, so one of the discrepancies that I found kind of odd between the film and the book was the... Um, Obviously, basically, the way the book is written is uh, Paul Edgecombe is uh, writing his stories yeah. uh, while he's in, like, an old folks' yeah. home. And he's very old, so his memory's not very good, Super so he's old. got to repeat some things. Yeah, so he, so there are these, like, repetitive moments, but so that's the way. So they tied in, you know, we've got the kind of, uh, the antagonist is Percy Wetmore, who is this horrible, yeah. I don't think I've ever hated a oh, character more than Fucking hate Percy. Even from, like... The first page that you encounter with him is 
you just I, I don't I don't know what it is or just I mean I don't know if it's the language that is used surrounding him before he mm. even says anything you know he's going to be a dickhead yeah yeah and you just feel I, and I've, he does honestly, not disappoint <sighs> he does but that's why I love I mean obviously I don't love him but he's such an amazing character yeah. because I've never felt so much hatred towards exactly a not real person <laughs> no yeah. I fully agree and so they've got this character in the the nursing. current yeah, time yeah. in the nur- nursing Brad? home. <gasps> Brad? Oh, he's such an a-hole. He's also an a-hole. But that, it's like that it kind of mirrors it. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. So it's this like way that he can touch base on things yeah. that happened before by tying them into what's happening now. And I thought after I realized that's what had been done, I was mm. like, oh my God, what a brilliant thing. Mm. But obviously none of that was in the film. Yeah. No. And I, at first I was like, that's weird. And now I understand like it. It wasn't necessary in the film to tell the story, but in the book, it it was yeah. a mechanism of him being able to remind people and like tie things back back around so people would like stay in the story, which wasn't necessary in the film because you're watching the whole thing yeah. through. Um, so I thought that was super interesting. Somebody else Why did you that? like the book? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I mean, it's really hard to talk about without going back to the. Only because that's kind of where my journey with the Green Mile Did you begin with the Green Mile as as a film? Yeah, and I was really young. Like I used to like I used to rifle through my mum and dad's like videos and I'd sort of pull pull stuff out and be like, Can I watch this? Can I watch this? And they'd either be like, Yes, that's appropriate or no, that's definitely not appropriate for a seven year old daughter. They thought the Green Mile. And honestly, I swear in my life, I must have been about eight years old. (laughs) And I was like, Can I watch the Green Mile? Because I saw Tom Hanks and obviously it's like it's Tom Hanks. Obviously I want to watch that. Exactly. Um, and like, you know, I read the back and I understood what I understood from it at a very basic level, obviously. And I watched it by myself, just <laughs> in my room. And Wowza. at age eight? Eight years old. Like, I was so young. But I just remember, I don't know if this was where my like empath journey began. <laughs> but <laughs> I just. an empath started with the green mile. Legit. Like, honestly, <laughs> I can't explain how much. Like, you know when you see a really amazing film or, like, when you read a really amazing book yeah. and you literally think about it for, like, days afterwards and you yeah. every time you think about it, it kind of hits you again. You're like, oh, my God, that was really intense. It was kind of like that, but, like, <laughs> I don't know if it, like, taught me about acceptance and realising that, I don't know, it's hard to explain. Like, you know, like, Edouard Delacroix, he did some pretty horrific mm. stuff. Yeah. But throughout the book, you can't help but like him and not want him to Face be executed. Like, yeah. I mean, it's not a fucking spoiler. It's a film about. It's a book slash film about execution. They're all on death row. Yeah. Spoiler they're, alert. They're all they're gonna die. die. <laughs> and it's when it's leading up to it because he's so simple-minded and childlike. You can't help but feel like you don't want it to happen. He doesn't deserve it, even though he has done something yeah. so horrific. And it, I just found that really hard, like to kind of, I guess, to comprehend as a young child because i was like well why are they doing that but they don't really delve that deeply into the in film, the film like, they don't talk did. about what he did yeah. um so it's even worse and obviously he's got mr jingles and you're just like Ugh. please don't kill the man with the mouse and it's just <laughs> mr jingles the true star, the true oh, star of the mate, john coffee move aside yes, it's about god. the damn mouse that mouse <laughs> my heart with that mouse <laughs> with his little what's it what's the little thing called the little the, the, the spool. spool the spool oh. I literally I've never cried so much at a rodent in my life mm-hmm. honestly it, I didn't cry that much when my gerbils died like and oh I, my I, I've had mice who have died and I was just like cast them aside it's fine <laughs> cast them aside <laughs> Mr. Jingles I was just like oh no 
And the but the way oh. it makes it so worse. Oh. He did not deserve that. Yeah, Mr. Jingles is a is a and and a totally hero. that the the I think what I loved about the book and for me was lacking in the film. But maybe because I just literally had gone from I've just read the book straight into the film. I yeah, maybe needed a bit do, more yeah. time. I think because I think I was so so engrossed in the book and that there was absolutely a humanity between all the people. But mm-hmm. I think it came across so much because there was this great intimacy between. John and the prisoners, he had these really intimate relationships. He showed who they were as people and yeah. it felt very, very intimate in the book and I didn't think it felt intimate in the film mm. and that annoyed me because yeah. I was like, the reason it feels so tense and so like on the edge of your seat and so what's happening to these people is because I believed that there was a relationship between them all and mm. it felt really strong and really intimate and like he was showing these sides of people that had never been seen in their whole lives, let alone yeah. just in relation to their crimes. And that was, for me, in the book, was why I couldn't put it down. And in the film, I was like, what? I don't believe that they feel anything. I don't believe there's any emotion happening between these people. It's annoying me. Come on, hurry up, she feel was something. Really, she was really cutthroat about the film. I just, I real. thought, I mean, fair enough. I honestly thought, I, I, I think I only went a couple days between reading the book and then re-watching the film. I thought they did a pretty decent job of you know, hitting things on the head. Obviously, yeah. there are things missing. Obviously, there's details missing. That's It would have been With a six-hour film, film yeah. if they, yeah, you yeah. know, if they wanted to add everything in. I didn't love the modern-day stuff. It didn't draw no, me in as much as it had in the book. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I agree. Um, because they really didn't spend much time there uh, building that end of things, which is fine, because obviously the meat and potatoes of this, the story yeah. is the story. I thought the casting was Brilliant. Casting was great, so yeah. spot on. Casting was oh perfect. Goodness, um, it was heartbreaking. It was beautiful, but I feel like they did everything justice. I was, I will say, I was relieved that um, the scene where uh, Edward Delacroix dies was mm. not as mm-hmm. uh, uh, visually yeah that horrific as it was read. in the book. I mean, it was hard enough anyway. It was bad, yeah. but. Like watching someone, the eyeballs. Yeah, I was glad the eyeballs. It's nowhere near as graphic. Yeah, it, it is pretty awful in the book. Yeah, but then you know, Stephen. Yeah, I mean the, the, that's the thing. He is the the king of horror. I wouldn't really call this a horror. No novel, which is fine by me. Yeah, uh, <laughs> to <agreed>. be fair, <laughs> it's because it's actually it's a really beautiful, touching book yeah. about humanity yeah. and and prejudice and assumption there's that wonderful bit with when john when he's first got this sort of bee in his bonnet about john coffee and mm. like why what he doesn't quite get it and he goes to the the uh, porter guy and he says something like he was a bad man who didn't know he was a bad man yeah because this reporter's like oh i, I don't want to say that n-word don't okay you the can N-word. say negro can i say negro is that okay? in, in the context in the of context? the book. Oh, like Because he said, I just, I'm suddenly really aware that I'm just going to be like <laughs> quoting. Just throwing that one um, Yeah, because he says things like, you're Negro and you're, he keeps referring to all black people as being this sort of like other group. But yeah. he's enlightened and he's fine and he, he accepts them as long as they're over there. But he's enlightened and it's like this weird, mm. you know, he's, he's obviously not and he doesn't, he, he's not a good person. I just thought that was beautiful how mm. he'd made this, um, he'd noticed that he was speaking to this guy who presented himself as being like one of the good guys in society now and one of the yeah. forward thinkers. And he, it was just that lovely little phrase of he was, a, he was a bad person. He didn't know he was a bad person, and that makes him one of the worst. Yeah, like, that's so like little, little lovely. It really bits like, like I don't know if it like had the same effect on you guys, but when because even though I mean obviously I knew what was going to happen because I'd seen the film, so I already knew that 
John again. I don't know if this is spoiler, I think but John fine. is John is innocent. So and you know he didn't do these things that he was accused of. I just even though like at the beginning of the book you don't know if he's done it or not, mm-hmm. and you're reading when like um, Paul's reading through the report and it goes through the story and it, they tell you how they find the little girls and how they find John with them, and like when people talk about him and the things they say about him, yeah. you can't help but feel protective. It's like a little jab every time something like horrible is said. And like, you know, when he goes to see that solicitor with the little kids and the yeah. little boy, he said about the dog that attacked the little boy and stuff like that. And it's like, oh, you know, it's your friend until it's not your friend kind of thing. And it's just like, you feel so yeah. protective of him, but you don't really know why. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, that all that language as well. Like obviously now it's quite like a... I mean, not commonly used, shall we say. So it's like, it, it hits even harder mm-hmm. because it is just so, like, to the point. And that's just how people used to speak and how yeah. people used to refer to black people. And they were just this separate being. Like, they weren't... They're, they're kind of us, but not us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're, they're a bit dumber than us. They're not as, you know, not quite all there. You yeah, know, some the, of them are all right, but... The weird thing about that, or maybe, like, the beautiful thing, I think, about the book especially is that actually the place where these all these people find the most humanity is on death row mm-hmm. like that's the place where actually there's a, a lovely bit when he's saying our job is to speak to them yeah and to keep them calm and to promise them anything and like they're the most care and consideration and kindness and humanity that all of these people get is arguably the place you'd expect to see the least i mean they're literally yeah. going to kill them Mm. You know, and Paul refers to them as murderers, which I thought was really interesting. Like mm. we we're murderers. Like I, you don't really get yeah. that language. And I mean, you know, they still have bloody death row in America, and I'm pretty sure they don't walk around talk, talking to themselves as their murderers. But yeah. that's the place of the most humanity in the whole book, and it's not the place you'd expect to see it. Which yeah. for me, I thought was just so insanely powerful. Definitely, I'm having. I'm sorry. I'm having flashbacks to like really emotional bits in the book <laughs> okay. that I like what can't really talk about because it's like super spoily but have it's a just making cry. my heart yeah. I'm not gonna cry but I'm just feeling sad like this book really like yeah. even talking about it again and I have when I finished this read another book mm. and like we were talking yeah, yeah. you know when we were, uh, came in here today about how like oh shoot we both finished it quite a while ago and yeah. read something else and we're not like right in it because often yeah, we'll do same. the podcast right after we finished it but it's you know even talking about it now it's just like flooding back to me like all the kind of emotions that were attached to it i um i sent you both yep. videos and uh <laughs> pictures of me finishing this book uh, i will post my one photo review on instagram <laughs> which is basically a, just a photo of my face covered in tears um i was sobbing like actually hysterically sobbing thank god my flatmate had chosen that time to go to the shop <laughs> like there was like a 15 minute because I was like I'm about to cry. finish this book and I know it's going to break me and like warned him I'm like mm. I might cry I'm sitting on the couch like he was sitting on the computer I'm like I might cry just so you know and he like got up and went to the shop not not directly after that <laughs> but. but at some point during that he got up and went to the shop and that's where it all went to hell and I uh, I just was like audibly crying yeah because it is absolutely heartbreaking I was sat on the train crying when I read it even though I knew it was going to happen. Yeah. You know it's coming. It's not a surprise. Like, yeah. n- you know, I suppose there's... But you do kind of hope. Like, there's you do weird... Yeah. You do. You're holding on to it that yeah. they will turn around and be like, stop. Yeah. This cannot happen. But yeah. they can't. Yeah. Like, they can't not. And also, you know, he doesn't want to be there anymore. Yeah. yeah. So it almost goes from execution to, like, 
salvation yeah. euthanasia like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's the brilliant thing like because in there was it, I was doing exactly the same thing part of me was like oh well they're not going to do it surely they're not going to do it they're yeah. just like it's all going to be fine everything's going to be okay and everything's going to be fine it's gonna be and it's and not but that, and that's what makes it so powerful because you can't sometimes society just fucks up and you can't change it and it doesn't matter what you do and you can have the good people in the world that go around and do their best and believe in someone and, and see them for who they really really are mm. but society's still fucked up yeah and I, I think like the hardest, like the bit that keeps coming back and making me emotional is is that fact. I mean, we've obviously already <laughs> spoiler alert. He <laughs> might die, um, but the fact, like you said, that he doesn't want to be there. This fact that here is a man who has this amazing ability to stop people's pain and take away their suffering, mm. but in order to do that, he has to feel Oh my God, that all of this pain that. and all of this suffering. And he says, yeah. you know, like he's, I've got goosebumps. He he's, it. It, it feels like shards of glass yeah. in his head, just feeling all the pain and all the hatred and all the ugliness in the world every day. Yeah. And it's so upsetting and so true because yeah. especially, I mean, look around right now, like there's so much hate and so much ugliness still in the world. This was set in the 30s, yeah. you know, yeah. and lots of things have it's changed so and, and yet nothing has changed. Yeah. And imagine, like like you said, you're an empath. I'm an empath. Like I, I hate I, people. Beck hates people. <laughs> you're so lucky. She's still fucking this. <laughs> but like seeing, I, feel nothing. I can't watch the news because it, like I have to watch the news. I watch like Stephen Colbert. Because at least, like, I have to get my news with a dose of humor mm-hmm. in order to be able to handle it. If you don't it. laugh, you'll cry. Exactly. Yeah. Literally, like, the catchphrase of my life. Yeah. All the time. If I don't laugh, I'll cry. Just, like, tears. <laughs> you're like, that tree has lost so many leaves. <laughs> and you're just crying. Back, back, it's autumn. They'll come back. Oh, I'm literally, I, everyone always makes fun of me, though, because I'm literally that girl in Mean Girls at the end that's like, <laughs> I just have a lot of feelings. Like, that is me. <laughs> Straight up. I've done quizzes and everything, and every time I come up as that. I do cry at everything. Like it's just oh yeah ridiculous yeah. sometimes. This is the thing though. It's it is actually really interesting that this that whole thing has seemed to be a bit of a theme in the books that people have chosen. Yeah. Like yeah, think yeah, about almost every episode. Maybe not Grinny. <laughs> Although you know what Grinny <laughs> no, had we some. Had the, why yeah. do you kill dogs and then go and blah blah? And also like adults don't trust what children and seeing things. Naked sherry drinking. Mostly that, um, but. But this this idea, these books that that kind of take on these heavy topics and yeah. and examine society and and stay true to things that are happening today. This seems to be coming up again and again with the books people are choosing, which is really really interesting yeah. to me because you've got all different people um, from all different walks of life that we've had on this show, um, and there is this common thread that seems to yeah. run through people's choices, which is really interesting. It's that throwback to uh, book number one, because as Anna Fisi says exactly that, when she, um, when people are saying, why do we get pleasure out of reading these books about the sadness in people's lives? And she says, that's how we become empathetic. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. By looking at other people's yeah. lives, we, like the, the morality that is, defines us or, or used to confine us, actually we can understand more. We can, we can grow as people. Mm-hmm. And it's true, like so far, pretty much all of the books we've had have had some great depth of struggle Mm. and endurance and challenge and power. And they have been on paper incredibly sad books. And I have friends that are like, please stop reading fucking sad books. I'm like, yeah, no, I get it. But also reading them and coming through that, Mm. I don't look back and think that was the saddest thing in the world. I think what amazing people. Yeah, it's so beautiful. Yeah, that beauty coming through that is... Even, yeah, like, uh, 
Virgin Suicide, mm. um, Thousands Blended Sun. Miserable fucking books. <laughs> Honestly. But good God. Like the pa- why do we do it to ourselves? Yeah, why? Because it makes us better. Yeah. And then it, it, we reflect on ourselves I and totally our lives agree. and other people's better. And it makes me happy. It doesn't make me sad. Like it's better for my well-being mm-hmm. than just reading bits yeah. of it. Yeah. Almost like to put yourself through that makes you better. Yeah. But like, even like you say, with like the humanity part of things and how like I, one of my favourite parts in the book, like, well, the ongoing part of the book is the other guards. Yeah. And their kind of... Brutal. Growth. Oh, my yeah. God. Brutal. I love brutal. And, you know, when the time comes and they all, normally... That's what Normally it's very mm. robotic. They're mm-hmm. just there to do their job. Like you said, they're there to talk to them. They're there to keep everything calm. But essentially they have a job to do at the end yeah. of the day. But when it comes to that crucial moment... All of them are so at conflict, like yeah. they are so heartbroken and it's it's you see that journey, you see it leading up and you're almost relieved that they have that response, I yeah. feel. Because if you didn't, I feel like I'd, I would have been furious. Well, there's also like the bit he says quite a lot in it. He keeps saying it was a depression. It was a depression. If you lost your job, you had nothing. Yeah. So you can imagine it in another time, in another place. These guys would have been doctors, psychotherapists, like... Yeah shoe well obviously clerks. apart from Percy <laughs> like they could have been anything but they're in this job not because in their mind they're like I, well other than Percy I really want to kill these bad guys yeah they're there because it's a depression and they have to work but it's thank fuck job. they're there because they're kind if everyone was people. a Percy could you imagine exactly. what those and people and that's probably increasingly what it's like now that the yeah. desperation it's like completely flipped like you don't get people working there because actually they 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 have some sort of moral mm-hmm. endeavor with it they they weren't there because they like power and they're assholes yeah mm. and that's what percy shows so was it percy says something about i see it as like a hole for some rodents to be squashed yeah. or oh, something yeah. like yeah. he's such a rodent and it's just but then obviously how kind and sort of lovely all the other guards are to an extent and controlling of him as well like they yeah. try and shape him to make him a better person yeah and then they try their they best they try you know and then you just have this complete opposite vile like my father will hear about this yeah. motherfucker and he's just just the worst kind of person and even and the obviously the irony of it is that he's a horrific person that cannot wait to watch someone fry yeah. on that chair and there are men behind who, bars who are, much who are gonna people. die for what he wants yeah. to do and it's just yeah. madness the injustice of mm. the American legal system yeah I have a really important question was cranberry juice not around in 1932 <laughs> <laughs> oh my god <laughs> cause like oh yeah we stuck throughout the whole book I'm like oh my god man like just what is this book about <laughs> a urinary tract infection it was a bad one a this really is like the worst one. fucking UTI I've ever heard of and the whole time I'm like do they hey, not hey mate I've had I've had some I mean bad. we've all had but some was bad. this before I mean wait when were antibiotics invented well no they're not there yet he was saying when he's looking yeah, back he had to wait to the 50s oh, could you not so get it wasn't a cranberry maybe they hadn't realised that isn't that a myth now though it. didn't someone debunk that didn't someone no, say that it's, it's I'm pretty it's sure it can't really cure you but it, it sort of eases the pain yeah but what, a, what an interesting choice of a illness it to, is an odd one isn't it but then I suppose I it's one of the things that gets in the way I think that was the moment yeah because I would like he, if it was like a shoulder pain, it wouldn't have been so weird. But because it created that moment when Joel Coffey had to grab like, him, grab <laughs> him by the balls, essentially, Literally. Mm. like that's a slightly strange. And then he moment. went home and 
Sore to his wife. <laughs> yeah, right? That's the first thing you do. You've just had a urinary tract infection yeah. so bad you're collapsing and your first thing is like, come here, darling. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Sure. Also, can we just talk about the wives? She seems fucking cool. Love oh, her. Yeah. my God. I wonder if she was based on Tabitha. I was yeah. going to say. Yeah. Was, yeah, totally. But she's just so... She's a good She's good a lady. level-headed. Supportive, yeah. like, you know, if you need to talk, I'm here. But at the same time, I know you have to go for a lot of crap yeah. in your job. And she's just such. And then Melinda. Oh, mm. Melinda. Oh yeah, we have. Oh, when even she when Melinda's that. like, I, we we what was it? We sorry, listeners. Walking in the darkness, and then we. Yeah, I had a something. dream. Okay, sorry. Let's <laughs> rewind. <laughs> Make um, sense of what we're saying. So that's kind of one of I think the two main events in the book. One being the death of uh, the bad death of Edouard Delacroix, mm. and then the other being um, this moment where. Um, John Coffey kind of performs his biggest miracle mm. in basically reversing a brain tumor from the warden's wife, yep. uh, Melinda, um, who is like a lovely woman and, you know, everyone's she like ravaging her brain. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that moment, yeah, where she she's completely out of it. She doesn't know like who she is, who anyone is. And then when she becomes better and she said I, I had a dream about you like we were ro- you were walking in the, the dark, dark and I was walking in the and dark we and we other. found each other in the dark oh yeah like, goosebumps honestly beautiful. it just so such a beautiful moment and, and that moment of kindness and like yeah. obviously the warden's freaking out because yeah. he's just yeah. got this huge <laughs> guy like making <laughs> out of his huge wife murderer as far as he knows yeah. yeah someone that is capable of doing that is this currently like backing out and sucking a tumour out of her head but also he felt like what I loved about that because yeah in his mind it's like you raped and murdered two little white girls yeah. you know you're the worst thing ever but he trusts his friend he trusts Paul and he trusts the other their, yeah their relationship is and so and so because lovely. of that he's like I don't know I don't really know what you're doing I don't understand why you're here I don't know what's going on but he trusts him yeah and so he lets and he's also happen. so desperate and he's so desperate a cocksucker that's what she keeps calling him in that oh, bit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? She's always, like, yelling out. She's just like, she's, you fucking cocksucker. The yeah. poor guy's like, she's swearing. She's got a brain so It's like her beautiful, like, I've never heard words yeah. like that come out of her beautiful mouth. How does yeah. she even need, oh know God. these words? It's like, yeah. It's and the way everyone else speaks about her, you get this image yeah. of her just being this, she's like, really lovely beautiful, woman. lovely woman. Well, and she is because there's that moment where, you know, John Coffey is this incredibly intimidating-looking person. Yeah. And when he sits down beside her and she's calm, she says... Who hurt you? Yeah. Like, Seems where did you get scars. all of these scars? Like, that's what she saw. She saw oh, John. that, not like, oh, God, you're <sighs> so crazy big. What did you do <laughs> while you were in prison attire? She's like, who are we all going to cry? <laughs> like, who, who hurt who you? Who did this to you? Who did this Why to you? Why are you such a sad and, soul? And he was but like, I tried to take I don't it back, know. but I couldn't. Oh. Oh, but all this time, everyone's I like, I helped, I, didn't I? I tried to take it back because I regret doing what I did. No, no. he tried oh, to reverse tried someone to else's actions. Back. Oh my and God. And he couldn't help and it's in the way. I helped. Like the bit I where, helped, where, I helped, didn't I? Oh. The bit where I think one of the most powerful parts for me is so like, obviously very, at the beginning of the book, when you find out what he did in quotations um and it's so vivid and the way he like sets the scene and the fact that you know the men that are hunting these girls can just hear him wailing mm. like and like saying you know they've never heard a sound like yeah. that come out of a man and he's an just animal. in pure distress because yeah. he couldn't save these little girls and you know this the dad is like beating the shit out of him basically and he's just vacant he's not there he's yeah. so like distraught and it's 
that's part always really even in the film that yeah. bit really sticks yeah. with me yeah I was just going to say it really hard shout to watch. out Michael Clark Duncan did such an incredible job of playing John Coffey oh my Christ unbelievable it makes me sad that he's not around anymore because it's yeah he was amazing that bit as well when you're when you first read it and it's is he guilty is he not guilty yeah. bloody blah, blah um you can't you you don't think about it too much but then when you realize that he was trying to save them actually that makes complete sense if you've just raped and murdered these kids you're not sat there howling like no. you just don't no and so when you realize you're like oh he was in so much pain because he, he, he felt tried, what happened to he them. He tried so hard. And he couldn't take it and back. And he paced like, the way that he paced the ground. And they realised that, well, Paul realised that that's why the ground was so, because he's a big guy. Mm. And he just paced the ground because he was in absolute desperate pain trying to save it. It's just, oh, I can never drink coffee in the same way again. I know. So beautiful. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I think this is the first time I've nearly actually cried doing the podcast. What was the one I cried in? I cried in once. Oh, Charlie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Who would you recommend this book to and why? Oh, my Christ. Um, (laughs) Anyone that fancies a cry. (laughs) Um, Anyone. (laughs) Hands up, y'all. I think anyone that just really wants to read something that will just make you feel every emotion you could possibly feel like it's not Mm. you know it's not like oh i hope these people are gonna like get together in the end it's sheer desperation of oh my god i must know like if this person is gonna survive this how is everyone else gonna feel about it and that hatred you feel and the justice that you want for all these different kinds of people like even like was it william wharton which you you know he has a very key part in the story and also a general psychopath and like, but he brings this comedic element as well, like mm, the moon yeah. pie bit and stuff yeah. like that. Like he, it's you feel so many things about all of these people, which I think yeah. is obviously really interesting because that's real life. Not everyone, a lot of people are monsters, and a lot of people have got all these other sides to them. Which, and it shows so many different sides to people, and I love that. And like, so yeah, if you're into that, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. sorry, guilty. <laughs> um, I'm very curious to see what quotes you have chosen to uh, end the episode with. Yes. I, th- I don't think you're going to be Is this going to make us cry? At all. Oh, I don't think you're going to be surprised. Okay. Um, I'm rightly tired of the pain I hear and feel, boss. I'm tired of being on the road, lonely as a robin in the rain, not never having nobody to go on with or tell me where we's coming from or going to or why. I'm tired of people being ugly to each other. It feels like pieces of glass in my head. I'm tired of all the times I've wanted to help and couldn't. I'm tired of being in the dark. Mostly it's the pain. There's too much. If I could end it, I would, but I can't. Yeah. Book drop. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Thanks for that. Just <laughs> bringing the tone down there, everybody. I've got nothing else on this afternoon. I can just go home and cry in a corner. Yeah. That, um, for me, sums it yeah, does. It's Everything is the best. I mean, it's horrendous, but it's beautiful. Yeah. Why it do people you. keep being so ugly to one another? It brings... No, but it's I a feel question like for another day. <laughs> that bit brings you... Um, it makes you feel at peace with what's going to happen. Yeah, 100%. Because that's when you just know. Yeah. And it's... You don't wish someone so, with such a, such a beautiful heart to have to suffer any yeah. longer with the weight of the world, literally. Literally. <laughs> um... Wow. Well, on that delightful note, everyone, <laughs> um, 
Charlie, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Thank you for choosing this book. Yeah, I'm so I glad it. I read it. I, really I didn't it. think I was going to love it as much as I did. Oh, I'm so reason. glad. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. It's always like that anxiety of, oh, you, you know, when you watch a film with someone and you just sit there staring at them <laughs> yeah, watching like, the film. <laughs> do, do you like it? Do you like do you, it? You're finding this bit funny, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You enjoyed it? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, no. I loved it. Stunning book. Shout Thank out so to much. Mr. Jingles as well. Oh, Mr. Just, Jingles. Oh. Seriously, man, you, you're a star. Rocks my world. Lovely. Uh, amazing. Well, um, Thank you for that. We're all um, emotionally drained. <laughs> yeah, we're all emotionally drained. <laughs> I feel slightly distraught. If you have a book that will make us cry slash you want to chat to us about. Jamie Oliver Cookbooks. Jamie Oliver. Yeah, Jamie Oliver Cookbooks are welcome. <laughs> um, please get in touch with us uh, via our website at yalpod.com or the social medias at yalpod and yes. that's Instagram Twitter and Facebook indeed uh, yeah join our Facebook group uh, I want to get some conversation started in there it's a bit slow uh, you can meet Gail uh, my mom is in there so if you have mama anything to, to say to mama Gail she's she's around she's very excited to I be there I think the only evidence she's seen of me is me drunkenly not being like I love you Gail on oh, her yeah. birthday <laughs> yeah that's true thank you for giving birth to her yeah. oh god that was oh, a time Gail. <laughs> oh poor Gail oh Gail um so yeah, if you want to be cool like Gail, um, <laughs> please subscribe, rate, and review. It is an awesome way of uh, getting other people to check us out um, and hear the podcast. Um, and also, if you want to get a shout out on the podcast, you want to get yourself some sweet, exclusive, your own words merchandise. Um, you can slash find latte us latte drinking. <laughs> you, yeah, slash special episodes <laughs> where we drink lattes. Um, please check us out on Patreon.com slash yowpod um you can help us to financially keep us in books uh and in studios and uh keep bringing you what we hope is uh, greater and greater content so check that out as well and uh yeah we will see you in a couple weeks time farewell bye bye your own words is hosted by allison dunnings and becky graham it is recorded in London at the Pitch Room in Runway East, Soho. Theme song by Natasha Pasternak. Read along with us at yowpod.com.